cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on March the 3rd, 2009. Newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, where you can download lots of previous talks I've given, where I try to give you the shortcuts to the big picture of the system that runs the world by using the documentation put out by many of the big players themselves. They do like to publish their works, and they do like to kind of rub it in that they're always in charge by predicting the future. How can they predict it? Well, they simply make a plan and make it happen. It's as simple as that. Also look into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts of these talks I've given in the past. And they're written in the various languages of Europe. You can print them up and pass them around. You can also donate on cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. That keeps me going. Or buy the books and the discs I have for sale. We, as I say, we're going through a a plan, a big long-term agenda. The world is always run by phases, and the way it's written in the history books, of course, is after the fact, and it's always after those who are in charge vastly censor what really happens. They always say that the winner is right to history, which is true. And unfortunately, there's generally only one set of winners all along, and it's those boys that own and control the entire monetary system, which is everything when you think about it, because so many people will be protesting what's happening in the world today. They're justly angered at what's been happening to the banks and being looted by the big casino called the stock market with the big bubbles where stock was overinflated vastly and sold off fast by the sharks, only to fall flat in their faces when you find out that they're worth nothing at the end. That's the trick. And governments supposedly have been watching this for all along for years. That's part of the policy since Bretton Woods Part 1. And they said it would never happen again because they'd been on top of it. And as we all know, that's a lot of nonsense because the big banking boys gave us this system. We're living in their system, designed by them, for them, to serve them. And money makes the world go around. Some countries in the past have tried to use their own money, print their own money up, or coin it. But the same old thing happens because little tyrants try to get into government, psychopaths are attracted to these positions, and they like wars and things, and they have to get more than just the usual tax money coming in to pay for them. They have ambitions. Therefore, they go to the big money lenders. There are not many families involved in the money lending business, maybe 12 or 13 big ones. But they lend all across the planet to all sides in all conflicts. And they make sealed agreements, regardless of who wins or loses in wars, they always get paid. Uh, that's mandated. And we're 
up in this system thinking it's all quite normal because we live in a deluge of ongoing propaganda. Every country in the world that I've been in will tell you it's the greatest country in the world. And adverts, advertising will be on television and newspapers, etc., always expounding the fact that this is the greatest country in the world. And I'll always tell you the greatest health service in the world and all of these things, the best benefits for people who are unemployed and so on and so on and so on. So it's more propaganda than reality. But we take it for granted because we're born in it and we don't realize we're living in someone else's system. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix.
deciding the value of that money day to day, which is ridiculous in itself. How can you possibly try even and save up when people at the top can make a decision and make your little savings there utterly worthless, as they've done in the past? As I say, the system has not set up for the people, and the people are beginning to catch on to that. Unfortunately, it takes something like this to happen before they start grumbling. Because in the trickle-down theory, as long as we're purely content and happy and we can play our little games and pursue our little interests, then we don't complain very much at all. We don't even think about it very much, as long as you can buy that coffee or whatever for the same price as it was the day before. But that's what it takes for people to start asking questions is a crisis. Now, this crisis was planned this way. That's why the big top think tanks have been pushing stuff out for years that sounded like science fiction to us in the 80s and 90s. They were literally emulating the science fiction movies that were getting churned out about this future, this bleak future, where the big kind of city-states, some held by pirate organizations, that's the movie that was called uh, Escape from New York, that was one of them. And lo and behold, in all the big think tanks that were churning out stuff for the governments and for the military, they were saying the same thing. Why was that? It was because they actually had these futurists on board with them. In fact, in Britain at one time, two of the futurists that wrote science fiction were actually leading the top think tank for the military. Remember that everything that you read is a form of predictive programming. It kind of lessens the shock when it becomes reality because it's vaguely familiar to you, but you haven't thought it through. This is psychological warfare, and this is how it works on the general public, something well understood by those at the top. As I say, the last Great Depression was quite something because you go further back into the 1800s and you found three men in the United States who formed a combine, big bankers, big magnets, and crashed the economy three times and looted the entire economy and pension funds and all the rest of it in the 1800s. Then along comes the Great Depression. Same thing happens again. And what kind of got out of that was World War II. It's fascinating, too, that they, they love wars because wars are so prosperous but today they're becoming too dangerous because there's so many, so much high-tech technology out there that could wipe out cities or whole countries. And therefore they'd lose all their profits, wouldn't they, regardless of who would win and lose, like in the old-type wars. Therefore, the new strategy for a global society with high-tech is to have every citizen under surveillance as a potential terrorist. A terrorist to what? A terrorist to the system the same boys owned. What struck me as odd going through the think tanks projections for the future for the, for the British and US military was that they said that the economy comes first above everything. In other words, the same broken down, corrupt economy that must be kept intact and saved and kept going. I've always said that if the foundation is corrupt to start with, the building isn't going to stand. And the building that we are living on is held together with tape and glue 
and supports and structures that's falling apart. But it's intended to. The big boys knew exactly when to loot the world. They know how to bring it to their advantage because remember, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank is to be risen to its proper position for the World Bank. That's what they said at Bretton Woods Part 1. And how would you get that to happen when countries still want to hang on to sovereignty to some extent while you've got to crash the entire planet and bring them through a long period of chaos to bring in the new system? And that's what's happening now. Now, the International Monetary Fund, you can look it up yourself, technically isn't a bank. And again, neither is really the World Bank. They're, they're again the middlemen. They go between governments and the moneylenders to decide on payments to debt. And when countries fail, like most countries do, Britain failed when Maggie Thatcher was in, and towards the end, the IMF came in to make sure they'd get their money back. And they tell the government what to do and how to run the country until that money's paid off. They tell them how much taxes to collect, what taxes to collect. And that's why the poll taxes came in as well, the head count. Because the IMF was in charge. Well, how are you going to bring a broken system that's corrupt from the beginning and put it into a world system where literally there'll be no accountability? They're finding that in Europe already because in Europe it was bad enough when London was a focus for all top political boys, all the big industry magnets, etc. And people who lived way outside London, and especially in countries like Scotland or Wales or, or Northern Ireland, they couldn't get a voice anywhere going through all these hoops to find someone that would listen to you. Well, now that, that the central government is in Europe, it's even worse. It actually worked out that the average person, the average member of parliament for, for the European parliament has a minimum or a maximum, sorry, of about 40-odd seconds to speak each year. There's democracy in action. Then democracy was meant to fool people. It never fooled the ones at the top who use it all the time as a battle cry. I've been looking at some think tanks today, and there's one big one with amazing links to it because the links go into the Club of Rome. I've talked about that before and all the other biggie boys that plan the future. They advise governments on the future and where to go. And this one here is called the Global Europe Anticipation Bulletin. Looks like a very expensive website. And they're talking about the future and how we will go through certain phases in this depression. It's quite fascinating because the abbreviation is G-E-A-B for short. And it says here, at the beginning of phase five of the global systemic crisis, phase of global geopolitical dislocation, back in February 2006, it said here they estimated that the global systemic crisis would unfold in four main structural phases. One was the trigger. Well, that was the crash, right? This was predicted back in 2006 by these big think tanks that are funded by 
Yeah, the big banking families. Trigger acceleration, impact and decanting phases. This process enabled us to properly anticipate events until now. However, our team has now come to the conclusion that due to the global leader's incapacity to fully realize the scope of the ongoing crisis, made obvious by their determination to cure the consequences rather than the causes of this crisis, the global systemic crisis will enter a fifth phase in the fourth quarter of 2009, a phase of global geopolitical dislocation. That's what they mean by all of that. Back with the more more after this break to explain it to you by one of the top think tanks, maybe the one. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, discussing a bulletin out a sort of magazine, an e-magazine you might call it and you have to go into the links to see who runs the magazine and you see all the big top think tanks there, such as the Club of Rome the ones who dreamed up the scam of global warming as a method of uniting the world and bringing everyone else to heal in this new system and this e-magazine says according to LEP EAP Leap 02020 or E2020, this new stage of the crisis will be shaped by two major processes happening in two parallel sequences. Two major processes, disappearance of the financial base, such as the dollar and debt, all over the world. Fragmentation of the interests of the global system's big players and blocks. Two parallel sequences, quick disintegration of the current international system altogether, strategic dislocation of big global players. Then they go on in to give you some of the history of the system that we're living in up until the present, and they're quite right because, after all, it's the big boys that have been running the system so they can afford to tell us how it really is. It says, we'd hoped that during the decanting phase, would give the, it would give the world's leaders the opportunity to draw the proper conclusions from the collapse of the global system prevailing since World War II. That's Bretton Woods Part 1. And remember, this would be a Part 2. This is what this is all about. So the last at this stage, it's no longer possible to be optimistic in this regard. In the United States, as in Europe, China, and Japan, leaders persist in reacting as if the global system had only fallen victim to some temporary breakdown, merely requiring loads of fuel, which is liquidities, and other ingredients, such as rate drops, repurchase of toxic assets, bailouts of semi-bankrupt industries, to reboot it. In fact, this is what happened, of what LEAP 2020 or E2020 means ever since February 2006, using the expression of global systemic crisis. The global system is simply out of order, and here's what they wanted, Right? It says, a new one needs to be built instead of striving to save what can no longer be saved. That's the agenda. They want the new system. But really, it's the same boys at the top. Amassing even more power, global power, to themselves because they want to be the ones to print up the new currency and share it out across the planet and make sure that governments then act as a tax collector to... Make sure it's repaid. 
what it's really, really all about. Then uh, you go into the Europe 2020 section from the same magazine, and they've got recommendations. Now, the governments are reading this. This is the stuff they get taught by their advisors. This is what gets whispered in their ears as to what's coming. So I'll put these links up on my site at the end of the show. And it's true enough, you know. Uh, they know every step that's happening because they want it to happen. They want it to, the bailouts to happen because the money's borrowed from the big global bankers. It's all debt. Governments don't create anything. They only spend. They collect and spend. And so everything that's getting pumped into the rubber barns, banks, and stock market, and all these companies, this is simply going to vanish and get worse. They know this. It's, it's planned this way because they want Bretton Woods Part 2, a world bank with its full position set up for the United Nations. Much easier for the bankers having one system run across the entire planet. Then they're guaranteed their returns from a slave population. Here's another article here, and it's it's talking about the financial crisis in the U.S. I think it's from the Telegraph. It says, U.S. banks may need more bailouts, says Ben Bernanke. Stock markets across the world suffered a second day of turbulence as the chairman of the Federal Reserve warned that the U.S. government may have to pour even more cash into the twin bailouts if its financial and economic systems are to survive. By Edmund Conway and Angela Monin. And that was in the third of match today. It says... They'll have to increase the scope of $750 billion for the banking rescue package as well as reading further aggressive measures to shore up the world's biggest economy. How can you shore up a bottomless pit? They can't even find out where all the money is gone. It didn't all go up to money heaven. Unless money heaven is some inaccessible place on the planet. And there are a few, mind you, because... They've tried this in the past to find where the money goes. And it jumps from one bank and safe haven to the next one, to the next one, and until they just simply give up, at least we're told to give up. It doesn't disappear. This is his warning to Congress came as shares in London slid to a new six-year low amid disquiet about the stability of Britain's banks following Monday's crash or cash calls from HSBC and AIG. So as I say, we're, we're, we're just watching the drama right now. We're living through the drama. And they will have the big global meeting in London in April. And that's when they expect the riots to start. And I'm sure every big player who will be involved with the solutions are studying their scripts and uh, intensely right now and learning them by heart. The ones will appear in front of the cameras across the planet with the suggestions of how to create a new system. And it won't benefit the people, but it will sound as though it may. Be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Steinmau and Watt, and we're cutting through the Matrix. Just reading an article from the Telegraph about the ongoing bailouts. And we'll read this little part, the last part of the story, and then go to the callers. It says here, Until the financial system has been repaired, the economy would not recover, he said. This is the Fed chairman. He says, adding, without a reasonable degree of financial stability, a sustainable recovery will not occur. Although progress has been made on the financial front since last fall, more needs to be done. The comments indicate that the U.S. Treasury, which has put its weight behind an asset insurance scheme for bad assets, much like the U.K.'s asset protection scheme, will have to spend more than originally anticipated on rescuing the banks. The Obama administration has slated for up to $750 billion dollars and new support to be spent on the banking bailouts in its first budget. So, I think it's going exactly as planned and predicted. You didn't, you don't militarize society and police and talk about the military combining under terrorism and live under a system like this for the last eight years or so, as we have done, watching it across the world without something being truly anticipated, well, it was nothing to do with terrorism, it's to do with this. This was planned to come up about now, you see. That's what it's all about. Now I've got Rick from California on the line. See you there, Rick. Yes, I'm here, Alan. How are you doing? Oh, good, good. Um, I wanted to, uh, I'm meaning to talk to you. Um, I don't mean to change the subject from banking, but... Um, I, you have, you've been talking earlier about in earlier shows about the genetically modified food yeah. and, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah. And I found out that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is funding IRRI, the International Rice Research in Africa. And, That's right. And AGRA, the Alliance for New Green Revolution in Africa. Mm-hmm. And the other $50 million came from, well, the Rockefeller Foundation. That's right. And, you know... There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, African immigrants here in the United States, and um, I was thinking that it would do it would do people well to start talking to them and sharing them, uh, you know, because when they go there, it occurred to me when they go there they're going to be really slick, and they're going to say, oh, it'll, it'll feed you, it's going to help you, but but then if we look at what happened in India, yeah, a great example, India, <laughs> you know, we get maybe we should start you know, reaching out to them and start telling them. Because this doomsday vault, you know, it occurred to me this doomsday vault could also be called a control vault or a, or a gatekeeper vault. Yes. Because... Well, I've no doubt, you see, in India, that there's vast tracts of India now that are so polluted with the chemicals that they sell for the, for the pesticides that go with the modified seed that's sold to them. And uh, they, they say that uh, the groundwater is utterly polluted now for some, some places for hundreds of square miles. Wow, I've been... it's astonishing. And, and the ones that are the, the places that are still of good quality, it's interesting too that uh, they put the farmers out of business. There was hundreds of them committing suicide last year and the year before, and uh, and now we find out that it's um, it's Lady Rothschild and Edmund that's buying up all that farmland now to put in GM crops. Yeah. Terrible. Right. There's this woman named Vandana Shiva who's been uh, she's been urging farmers to collect their own seed and um, resisting it. And I've been I start I've been talking to some African immigrants now and trying to you know trying to share this information in the hopes that maybe because they, they have they have networks with people and relatives back home mm-hmm. maybe they could start collecting uh, seeds and forming their own little seed banks you know Mother Nature yes. seeds. 
They could, and it could also be very secretive because the big boys don't want you to, to retain your old seats. They want to have them mm. for the future new world, but they don't want us to have them. And see, that which um, modified seed, or, or say a corn, for instance, is designed to go or to grow best in a certain type of climate, and yet it's, it's supposedly it's one climate fits all. They put it in different parts of the world where it hasn't taken off at all. Australia's got tremendous problems now with this modified stuff. It just isn't growing in the certain climates, the different climates. Wow. Um, I was wondering if you could also mention, because George Soros is coming up now again on the radar. Oh, yeah. And I was wondering if you could go into his history and his past, or, you know, what he, he did help the Nazis, I understand. He did, yeah. The steel that, that, I think that's why he was picked. I mean, he, he helped to point out dissenters, etc., to the Nazis, and he was picked up for having no conscience and, um, and taken on board. Uh, the big, I mean, he was made, he's a front man, really. And he was uh, made very wealthy by the, the top bankers. They have lots of little front men out there. I say little, even though they're worth millions, maybe, but they're just um, little front men. And Soros himself uh, got together with two of his friends. He admitted this in the British newspapers a few years ago and literally crashed the British economy by manipulating the market and uh, benefited tremendously off of it it was all quite legal to do because there's no laws against it, and um, and the British taxpayers had to fund the new loan they got from the, the the IMF to get the pound afloat again. So these are utter sharks. They're pirates in a sense, but they're uh, again it's their system. They make sure that there's no laws in the books that they can be touched for. What they did technically was still legal. Yeah. His philosopher Karl Popper, which I found. He reminds me kind of of a Strauss type of character, like we were talking about. Yeah. You know, I was wondering if you know anything about Karl Popper and the Open Society. Mm, not too much. Not too much. Oh, uh, okay. But, uh, but yeah, these characters are all just front men uh, that they're put into. They make them rich, and then they become philanthropists. And I remember Weishaupt talked about foundations. Philanthropic mm-hmm. foundations would be their method of uh, ruling the world. We find the same thing with the Cecil Rhodes Foundation and then the Milner Foundation, which became the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. The world is run by foundations, and you'll find it's the biggest bankers on the planet who also own the top foundations. Yeah. All so right, they bypass Al. democracy altogether. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for, for talking about that. Well, thanks for calling. All right. Yeah, they, they bypass democracy. They have their NGOs that have the year to government and demand things from government. And the, the average person has no say whatsoever. So it's been like that for a long, long time. See, they never allow true democracy to be given to the people. They, that means they might lose control, so they simply bypass it altogether. In other words, they rule democracy. They are democracy. They run it. The whole system is run by the few, as always. And uh, I can't see any laws ever getting drafted up to, to do that. The foundations were looked into in the 50s in the Rees Commission because they, they, were, they were funding all these front, what appeared to be communist groups. And it isn't until you get into the banking mandate, the world bankers mandate, the big moneylenders boys, uh, that you find out that the, the system that they want to bring across the world is a collectivist system with themselves on top. So it's a fascist system on top 
with a, a massive bureaucracy running the world in a communistic fashion. That's their ideal. That's why they have these foundations to do it. Now, there's Eric from Philadelphia there. Are you there, Eric? Hey, Alan. It's actually Derek from Philadelphia. Hey, oh, okay. Can you hear me? Okay. I, I, I guess you can hear me. Um, uh, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about, well, basically, it seems like we're living in the devil's system. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone on top, everyone who gets to the top level is some sort of demonic person, like even looking at Henry Paulson or Kashkari, as you were... Kashkari, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was actually looking at a picture of Henry Paulson earlier today, and it, like... It, yeah, so... yeah, you wonder. You do wonder. I remember Malachi Martin talking about uh, the, 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 those who are perfectly possessed, he said, that he'd met uh, in yeah. the world. They were all top politicians and bankers. Yeah. That's it. Well, that was specifically what I was calling about... Well, you were talking about Obama before, and I wanted to kind of try to tie it into your current talk a little bit. Obama seems so much less demonically possessed than, than like, Brzezinski and Kissinger and, and Paulson. Do you think they usually just take these these less, you know, these low-level guys and bring them up, and eventually they just get, like, they, they get uh, corrupted by it, I guess, eventually? Either that are corrupted to, to begin with. See, ordinary folk don't go into politics. In fact, that the best presidents the U.S. ever had were people who were forced into it yes, by necessity. Right. And it's, it's like being a leader. As you say, a, a good leader is generally unaware that they are a good leader, and it, it never enters their mind. They have natural leadership qualities. But if they, are, they ever come to understand that, they will lose those qualities. So, so being uh, oblivious to your own abilities is more, more altruistic and, and natural, but once you're conscious, you lose it. Well, I've no doubt whatsoever, the people who get to the top, they're well-groomed. They're in the Council on Foreign Relations, like Obama. You know. uh, he knows exactly what his role is. He's an actor, and, and uh, he will fulfill his, his function. I'm sure it's all written out for him for the next few years, what, exactly what's going to happen and how he'll respond to it or appear to respond to it. But, uh, but the politicians themselves, uh, they're told what to do. All of them, they've always been told what to do. And you take their advisors. The advisors, for the last 50-odd years, maybe longer, according to Quigley, it would be about 100 years, but say 50 years of advisors in all countries of the Western world um, are all pushing the same agenda through the prime ministers or presidents at the same time, which tells you there's an interrelationship, that there's some common factor between all these advisors who go to some special school or something because they all know the agenda, the world agenda. Mm-hmm. And well, the advisors are more important than the front men. Uh, there's no doubt on that because they know uh, what their role is, regardless of, of who's the prime minister or president. They know what their role is and what's to get pushed during that presidency. Um, Obama's along for the ride. He reads dummy boards. He learns scripts for speeches. The speeches are all written for him. That there is nothing that he will say off the cuff. Yes. Well, he's he's clearly a an actor. That's a great word to describe him. He's Hollywood. He's Hollywood. I, you watch his his gestures. Uh, uh, this is the, the cheap tricks they teach to to actors and even stage magicians with the way that his hands go and above him and so on, and 
uh, it, it's very interesting to see that he uses the, the sort of hypnotic techniques that orators used to be taught. Uh, they, they used to be taught this before television came in because uh, they spoke to live audiences and there's all these gestures that they use. Uh, he has them also. He's been well-groomed uh, for, for this role. I, I see them really as actors. Yeah. Yes, well, I completely agree at the politician level at least. I was going to ask you, I know you've talked to people at the high level, and uh, are they, if possessed is the only word, I know it's not very politically correct, but are there a lot of them like that as well? Like definitely. The, the definitely. Um, once again, our, our minds and our opinions are shaped by the propaganda that we're fed from birth. And what gets me is when, when politicians have their parties, etc. Uh, this happens in Canada, for instance, when a, a new group moves in, a new party moves in, and they have a huge ball, and they wreck uh, the Parliament House that they're having the party at. They wreck it. They're the most debauched people you can ever imagine, you know. Exactly. Well, they're, they're, I'm sure that sex slaves and all that, you know, they try to keep that hush-hush and keep it totally conspiracy, you know, that they, they try to... Uh, to, to make it seem less credible, you know, like it's some wild conspiracy, but I'm sure. Yes, uh, seriously, the, the little, the little um, and when you go into their, their backgrounds too, most of them have been bankrupt quite a few times. They all overspend their credit cards, so they want the high life, uh, and, and they want the power that comes with it, and, and suddenly they're given it, and, and uh, they act in front of the people. Again, they all have their advisors. But, but really, um, some of them are pretty well low life as well, you know. It's, it's kind of saddening as well as disgusting because yeah. there's people like me or you, Alan, if, if the system was, was more beautiful or, or holy or, or divine in some way rather than completely disgusting, you know. It is, it is disgusting. I don't think an, under a monetary system, um, you can have a, 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 an honest system. Uh, whoever gets in charge of the money, it, it's always going to be the corrupted guys who are very quick. They're streetwise, and they know they know the cons. Uh, they don't have to even think about it. It's almost intuitive with them, like a good psychopath. And um, before you know it, you're, 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 you've got the same system all over again. It, it just goes on and on. Would you mind if I ask one more question? Yeah. Because I don't want to take a chunk of time. Okay. You were speaking about the, the politicians in the earlier era of, I suppose, America who were not, they, they were not career politicians, such as mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson, I guess, people like him. Yeah. I know you've, you've mentioned Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin in some of your talks about their association with Freemasonry. And, yeah. uh, I've always personally believed that Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, those two people in particular, were people of the light, or whatever you want to call it, infiltrators maybe, Benjamin Franklin in particular, mm -hmm. maybe in the system. And I've noticed, especially in their own writings, and Benjamin Franklin has so much writings. I've, I've been reading one of his books. It was all just his, the collection yeah. of his writings. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, well, I just personally feel very close to him. It's hard to explain. I'm sure you kind of what I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, but Franklin's an amazing guy because, I mean, you have this odd story um, about his uncles in England crossing the Atlantic a few times just to see 
young Benjamin, not to see the rest of the family, but to see young Benjamin. Well, he was obviously groomed for something very, very special and, and given a, a particular role to play, and I'm sure they were over to teach him. But he himself said that, that he hoped that uh, the Federation, the Confederation of the U.S. would be a federation of the world. It would end up like that uh, under a council of 12 wise men. You've probably seen that in his, in his letters there. Well, well, I, I, I've never seen anything about 12 men, but I'm sure it's true. But I, I know what goes on behind the scenes is so much more. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. And plus, he was a member of the Hellfire Club. And, well, uh, uh, Dashwood's Hellfire Club in High Wycombe in, in England. Well, I, I just, that, that all aside, I've noticed some speakers have kind of, maybe not necessarily, but they've demonized him in a way by saying, mm-hmm. oh, he's Hellfire, oh, you know, like the Hellfire guys, of course you're going to see them as these health thing, they name the Hellfire Club, but I see him as, He's always, when it comes down to it, he's always been on the side of the people and he's always been looking out for their rights. And that's the main thing at the establishment of the American government. He's always been on the side of the people. Well, I don't think he was signing up for them, but he always mentioned the truth in a cryptic sort of way. Uh, He said it's a republic if you can keep it, for instance. Uh, he knew darn well that there was powers already at work to, to transform it into something else. Well, I, I think maybe he saw this, this colony on the other. It was the new world. It was so separated from Europe and all the corruption and evil. And maybe he saw it as a, a little bastion of hope to establish yeah. a little... Well, well, well thanks for, for calling, Terry. And I'll be back after this break. Major, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he he cut me off 
uh, I don't want to spend too much time on that as it is very limited. But uh, I just want to spread the word that you can't stop Codex at Codex. It has to be a local legislature thing. And these people are taking people's money, traveling around the world. They now live in Panama. This Dr. Stubblebine discovered the secret to Panama, you know, the guy who stares at goats. Mm-hmm. And they're taking people's money and, and running around the world spreading this info and, and preventing people, preventing people from actually stopping Codex Alimentarius, which <laughs> Canada, uh, in my, uh, to my knowledge, has been hit the hardest thus far. Oh, Canada's uh, a good little boy with a new world order. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a British colony, but of course it is. But yeah, it's just still like America, British colony, but they haven't yeah. announced that yet, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, whatever happens in Britain is followed suit here because all the boys at the top are members of the Council on Foreign Relations here, always have been, yeah, and a member of the Empire of, Club. That's yeah. a little boy of the RRI, uh, uh, the Royal. Yeah. I want to tell, and, and when, I don't want to make public proclamations on radio stations, but there's a guy following your show, somebody from Massachusetts, who who made bad remarks about you that made my blood boil, mm-hmm. and that's simply because his attention span <laughs> is probably not capable of grasping what you were saying. If you if you don't get on the air and say, uh, you know, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, all yeah. Jews, of, uh, I. I think that's that's just a a, a miss. Well, that's yeah, a, because uh, again, yeah. there's factions out yeah. there that need a, a, a simply identified enemy, and uh, that kills the cause in itself. Alan, I love you. Thank you, man. Well, you hang in there. You do the same, brother. Yep. Yeah, there are groups out there, and uh, they attack you vehemently if you don't go along with the. Uh, it's uh, it's the Jews. It's the Jews. It's just the Jews. It's so they're all one clone after another, one mass of people instead of individuals, there's certainly individuals involved, as there are in all peoples. Well, that's it for tonight from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.